You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, Episode 23. This week, we will start with a discussion of Trump's proposed tax cuts and their impact on Canada and the U.S. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we'll take a listener question about Bird Construction, Inc., BDT on the TSX, a general contractor in the construction industry. We'll let you know whether the stock is finally a buy. Our star of the week is from Keystone's active coverage and was one of our top Canadian small cap picks heading into 2017. International Road Dynamics, IRD, on the TSX, a highway traffic management technology company which jumped 50% this past week after receiving a takeover bid. Our dog of the week is perhaps the most talked about company on the TSX over the past five days, Home Capital Group, HCG on the TSX, which ended down 58% this past week alone. Now, if this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us at Twitter, at Keystocks, and on Facebook, or listen to us on our 24-hour Penny Stocks streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm, for coverage of U.S. and Canadian small-cap stocks. Now let's dig deeper into the show. I would like to welcome again my co-host, Keystone Senior Equity Analyst, father of one, and a man who currently has each of his fingers crossed, just purchased a rabbit's foot, and insisted we do seminars in both Edmonton and Toronto in the hopes that some of their lottery luck would stick to him and transfer to his Canucks so they would win tonight's NHL draft lottery. Mr. Aaron Dunn, welcome. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you. How are you doing today? Doing excellent. Doing excellent. Uh, uh, I'd like to start off by... I'm not holding my breath about the draft tonight, though. We've, We've had some... Horrible luck in that regard last year. So I said, I'm just I'll saying. Keep my fingers crossed, but I'm not. I'm not holding my breath. What I'm saying is, we might as well set our expectations that we'll slip to fifth, losing all three lotteries, and anything better than that is a bonus. Absolutely. But uh, as far as what our management does with the picks, you know, that's that's uh, that remains to be seen. We'll hold our breath on that one. I actually won't hold our breath on that one, but. First off, but to, what I am looking forward to though is uh, you mentioned the DIY seminars coming up. Exactly, and you're going to be on Money Talks uh, with Michael Campbell next week, uh, next Saturday, on the sixth to chat about that among other things. Uh, and uh, we've opened up some new DIY stock investing seminars uh, across Canada. We're going to hit Vancouver again on May 23rd. Kamloops on May 24th, Victoria on May 25th, Edmonton on May 30th, Calgary on May 31st, and Toronto on June 1st. Uh, we're very excited about those. We had sold-out shows, sold-out uh, seminars in all, all three of our events uh, just uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, we're inviting any uh, new potential clients and current clients to come out to those events. Uh, we're Essentially, some of the topics we're going to highlight on top of uh, building uh, your own DIY portfolios in the small cap and income area of your portfolio is just how many stocks you should own in the portfolio, what type of stocks to buy, 
when to buy, perhaps more, more importantly, when to sell. And we're going to give some insight in our, into our methodology that allows us to find the growth and dividend stocks that we're looking for that have produced strong returns over the long term. Absolutely. I mean, essentially, the, the way that I'm talking about this as well to people is Keystone has learned a lot in the last 20 years of, of doing equity research for, for investors. And this is an opportunity for people to come out and learn some very actionable um, some very actionable lessons on what we have learned over the past 20 years, things that they can basically take out of that two and a half hour seminar and they can apply to their own portfolio. So why not, why not benefit from, from multi-decade experience of Keystone Financial? And we, we, I, was, I was really happy with the feedback that we got from, from the, for the previous ones we did in, in Vancouver and Calgary. We've, we've been talking, I've been talking to a couple people, several people that have been to those, went to those seminars and they, uh, they really felt that it was worthwhile and, and, and they were happy to take out some really, really useful tips. And, and so I'm, I'm, I think it's great that we're going to be expanding this to Victoria and Kamloops and Edmonton and, and Toronto. I'm really looking yeah, forward to this. And some of the best parts of the session were, you know, the, the content was great. We, we liked the content, obviously, we're providing. But uh, we had Q&A sessions at the end you know, where we stayed, you know, in some instances from 45 minutes to an hour after at least. And uh, I think they, they were finally kicking us out of some of the rooms because the, but the questions were so great. Um, um, you know, we, we dug into them and uh, talked about individuals, individual stocks and some of the strategies we use. So we'll, we'll do that again, stick around. To the to the bitter end and uh, answer any questions that anybody has as well. You know, I'll say Ryan before we move on. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the of the seminar is that segment that you do towards the end, where you actually do a quick five minute analysis on a company, and you you actually show the people in the room you, some basic steps you can do if somebody gives you a hot stock tip, or if you just come across a company that you're interested in. Just a quick five-minute analysis to, to get a general idea if it's something that you should look further into or if it's something that you should stay away from. And that, that's, to me, one of, the, one of the most important parts of the seminar. Yeah, I agree. I enjoyed putting that segment out there together. And uh, I think it gives uh, investors a fighting chance when they do get that hot stock tick that everybody seems to get. Uh, l- let's talk about, let's shift gears here and talk about uh, Trump's tax cuts. They were dubbed the biggest individual and business tax cuts in American history. This week's long-anticipated U.S. tax reform statement basically had four strategic goals. The first was growing the U.S. economy by creating millions of jobs. That's uh, a tough, a tough uh, task there, but it's one of the goals. Number two would be the simplica- simplification of the ridiculously complex U.S. tax code. Uh, that in itself sounds good to me. Provide tax relief to middle-income American families is number three. Number four is lower the U.S. business tax rate from where it is now as one of the highest in the world. Now, just as a kind of an aside, the proposed tax cut itself really sounds, you know, to quote the Donald, huge, going from 35 to 15 percent. But from what we understand is that given all the tax credits, the loopholes that are in the current tax at, the average effective corporate tax rate is somewhere in the range of 19%. Now, some companies are paying more in certain sectors and some less. So the cut to 15 is probably not as huge as it seems and may not create as much of a revenue shortfall as has been stated by many of the dismal scientists out there. Well, let me add to this, though. Let me add to this, though. 
are those are those tax loopholes still going to be in place? So if companies are are if this if the if the statutory rate is thirty five percent, but companies on average are paying nineteen, so say you know a little little over half, and then they they move the statutory rate to fifteen percent, does that mean that companies will now be paying eight to nine percent? That that that's a great question. It's a great issue, and that's why like the what was released was. Uh, a lot of pomp and circumstance and, and, and light on details. So we'll have to really be able to find the details and, and dig into whether or not, you know, if those loopholes are all eliminated and everything's just simple and we stick at the 15 or the U.S. sticks at that 15% rate, uh, perhaps, you know, it can make sense. But really, I guess from here, before we're shadow boxing something and talking about something that really doesn't, uh, doesn't even stand a chance of uh, coming to fruition, the key question would be, can these tax cuts even get through Congress? And it's really probably a difficult sell. Well, I would um, say I would say based on the track record so far of, of the Republicans getting anything through Congress, even though they, they control it theoretically, it, I would say that probably we're, we're not going to see the tax cut um, down to 15 percent. But 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 it may be cut. That doesn't mean that it's not going to be they're not going to be able to figure out something uh, it, somewhere in the middle between the 35 where it is now and the 15 where they want it to be. Yeah. And it may be just the first uh, salvo, the first uh, lob over in in terms of a long-term negotiation. To me though, it does seem a little strange that the people voting on these cuts have the most to lose from them. If government revenues, taxes go down, uh, they will have less money for projects and may have to actually make some cuts rather than keep doling out the cash to buy some votes, but but that's the system really that we have created, and you see that throughout North America and throughout much of the world. Uh, it is in politicians' best interest to take in as much money as possible and grow government. Part of the reason why, in my opinion, why world governments are awash in debt. I mean, if you look at the U.S. in terms of tax revenue, Uncle Sam keeps really breaking records. Washington hauled in just over a trillion dollars in US, in tax revenues in the first four months of this current year. The Treasury, in some, many people would say, is bursting at its virtual seams, and, and still the debt keeps growing. So really, are tax cuts the issue? To me, it's spending, and it's always been spending the issue. And, and if you look at governments in the U.S. and up here in Canada, I don't really believe they have a revenue problem. To me, they have a spending problem. So... I mean, and and that that is regardless of whether you have tax cuts or not. So, you know, again, what we should look at here is how these potential tax cuts can affect Canada. Yeah, yeah. So let's um let's let's chat about that. Well, why don't we just why don't we just look at a theoretical situation where these tax cuts go through, um, and now the the corporate tax rate in the U.S. is fifteen percent. Um, compared to what is it about thirty percent up here in in Canada, so it'd be about half the amount in the U.S. And what would be the impact of that outside of the long term issues with deficit? What would be the impact of that as such a such, such a differential in the two tax rates? Yeah, and and I mean, and in the environment it, right now is is so different in in two, the two areas and the two and, and we're you know. The U.S. is our biggest trading partner, and in contrast, kind of to the proposed tax cuts that we've seen and the simplification that's being proposed um, in the U.S., Trudeau is 
broadly raising taxes. He's imposing a national carbon price on Canadians, meaning higher taxes and prices on almost all goods and services. And he was already reneged on his election promise to reduce the small business tax rate. Uh, if you just look at it on a com competitive basis or competition basis, if our taxes are promising to are, are going up and theirs are going down, um, it you know it, for me it, it seems like a situation where uh, we are we, we are becoming less competitive to to our neighbors. Uh, well, it's certainly not going to encourage a company to be to be domiciled in Canada if they have the ability to be domiciled in the U.S. If they if they operate mostly internationally or in the U.S., uh, it, it would certainly encourage them to the best of their ability to to be domiciled down there as a U.S. company and pay the tax rate, but. You know, there there are so many there are so many things that have to happen before we 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 see these tax cuts. In my opinion, I mean, this is the difference between. This is why I'm not too worried about it right now, but but it is it is certainly a concern if 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 they are successful in, in, in completely tearing apart, you know, a lot of the regulation that they have down there, a lot of the the um, regulation that they have with respect to uh, fossil like the oil industry, the energy industry, and they're reducing the tax rate. If they're able to do all of that. That absolutely, most certainly, it's going to be a competitive problem for us in the near term. Now, certainly, you can argue from from many perspectives that if they do that, they could be building up a major, major problem for themselves over the midterm to the long term. But in the near term, corporate profits would would absolutely explode down in the U.S. and it probably would generate some good short term economic growth. Yeah. Well, we did have a situation where. Uh, over the past couple of decades, even decade in, in Canada, and you really started to see this even in the past five years, it, it, was be it became tax preferred for corporations to actually move from the U.S. to Canada, uh, which you know, was uh, is a, a reversal of what we saw in the past with you know, the, the regulation, the, the taxation that had been increased in the U.S. in terms of corporate taxation. It was actually more beneficial to come to Canada. We were more competitive in many business taxation situations. So, if that reverses, um, then obviously it's 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 not good on a tax competitive basis for Canadians, and it likely looks at raising our cost of living overall, and it could potentially lead to job losses. Now, some of that could be offset by the fact that our dollar is uh you know trading at pennies on the dollar compared to the, the u.s dollar so you know those things can balance out naturally uh in, in an economy but uh you know it certainly makes us less competitive and is something that could be a concern as aaron said uh at this point there is going to be some difficulty getting all of those tax cuts through certainly all, so. all of those plans through and then and then there's also uh, we, we can just cap it off here is also considering there are going to be a lot of potential long-term uh, issues with that as well. And I'm not trying to forecast exactly what's going to happen. But if you look back right now, I believe that the U.S. deficit right now is is roughly around $400 billion a year. Um, when it got up to the, when it got up to the, 
sorry, I believe it's about 700 billion a year, and I believe that it got up to about 1.4 trillion um, at its peak around 2011, and that caused a lot of problems in the financial markets and concerns about the U.S. and their and their sustainability going forward. If people would remember, a lot of volatility. So you have to you 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 have to wonder what's going to happen if you're able to usher in all of these things that he wants to do, like major tax cuts, uh, major major spending plans. You know what is that going? I mean, what is that going to do to the economy over the next five years? Another thing that he's talking about doing that I'm I'm somewhat concerned about is repealing legislation that was put in after the financial crisis to regulate the banking industry. And perhaps that does need to be looked over. There may be some areas in that legislation. I have no idea. I'm not an expert on it in any way, shape, or form. But perhaps you, they, they should look through it and ensure that it is balanced legislation. But by just basically removing a lot of these these um, rules that were put in place in response to the financial crisis and and activities in the banking industry that led to that financial crisis. I fear uh, with large deficits and less regulation in that area, we could potentially several years down the road be looking at another 2008 again, potentially worse. But Yeah, you certainly don't want to see history repeat itself in that respect. No, but it often does. Yeah. Now we're going to move and shift gears again to a listener question. Uh, this is our Your Stock, Our Take segment. Uh, it's a question from a, a gentleman in Halifax. It was He says, given the predicted infrastructure spend, is bird construction a good buy now? And I'm going to let Aaron take that. Sure, absolutely. So bird construction, I'll just talk a little bit about the company first. Um, the symbol is BDT on the TSX, Toronto Stock Exchange. So the company operates as a general contractor in the Canadian construction market. They have offices throughout the country. Uh, they've been in operation for about 96 years, so very, very long track record. They primarily focus on projects in the industrial, commercial, and institutional sectors of the general contracting industry. So big, big construction projects. Um, so net income in 2016 was uh, $27.7 million, uh, 65 cents per share, and that was compared to... Uh, $41.8 million or $0.98 cents per share in the previous year. Uh, adjusted net income last year in 2016 uh, was about the same. And uh, it was essentially, essentially we're looking about at, uh, at a 33% increase compared to the previous year. So on an adjusted basis, the, the net income was $42 million last year and $14 million in 2015. So um, looking at the stock today, though, uh, Today it closed at $9.53, um, so a trailing P.E. of 14.66, which is below the market average P.E. and would make the company interesting if there was growth forecasted. Um, but we, one thing that we would do for a company like this in the construction industry when we're trying to forecast growth is we would look at the backlog. So how much, how much work do they actually have contracted? So new work secured through the course of the year contributed to a backlog of $1.13 billion as of the end of, of the year 2016, but that was compared to $1.66 billion um, at the same time in the previous year. So there's a, there was a major decline in the backlog year over year, and this is representative of the fact that Bird did not secure a major project in 2016 um, as the, the available opportunities were, were limited. So... The, the company has been successful in securing many smaller uh, but strategic projects with, with opportunities to win additional work in the future and diversify its revenue base. Um, but right now, given that the backlog is declining and we've seen uh, declines in earnings as well, 
uh, we would say that the the near term sentiment right now, in our opinion, is negative, and and I think that management agrees with us too. Um, a quote taken from their recent uh, the recent financial report says that Bird, this is from management, says that Bird anticipates a significant reduction in earnings in 2017 compared to this year. Um, so management has recently stated that they were encouraged by by recent wins and the company's ability to capitalize on the growing number of opportunities in the in the market. Um, but currently, uh, they are they are not expecting this to to contribute to major earnings growth or, or or progress in the company over this year. So you're essentially looking at a company with with declining earnings right now. That can change at any time, but it's it's not the type of of not the type of story that we want to invest in. Um, they do have an excellent balance sheet, about 260 million in cash. So that's over half the company's market cap in cash. The business will likely survive downturns. One thing we we covered this company several years ago in the income stock report, and and, and one thing is that they they are a, a contractor. A lot of the costs actually fo- flow through, just in their structure. So they do have a somewhat they're they're they do have a a, a somewhat uh, workable business model that that it, that helps them through downturns. But you know, as a value play, given the the high cash balance and, and the profitability as like as, as a deep value play, I could see this as being a small, small position for some investors. But for us, the way we do our research here at Keystone Financial, this is uh, this is not the type of company that uh, that we would that we would invest in at the moment. And I have to apologize. I, I made the mistake of saying that uh, that the, the earnings had increased 33 percent. They decreased 33 percent year over year. Yeah, I mean, that's a good summary. I mean, the company, uh, again, very strong balance sheet, like Aaron said, but, you know, we want to see growth at a reasonable price. Uh, Maybe the stock's trading potentially at a reasonable price, but there's no growth. There is actually going to be a a significant decline in earnings. Um, We wouldn't be investing in this company until we see uh, even an, an outlook for an uptick in earnings and, and potentially a quarter or even a quarter or two where you see an uptick in earnings. The, the issue here partly is too, their, their higher margin industrial work that came through the oil sands and mining uh, is shifting to lower margin institutional work. So uh, even with that backlog going down, it's also a backlog that has lower margins on it. So it's just not something we'd want to invest in right now. Absolutely. So just just to clarify, their adjusted net income in twenty sixteen was about twenty eight million compared to forty two million for the previous year. So that was that was a, a sharp decline year over year, and they are expecting earnings to decline once again this year. So yeah, not in the right direction. Not in the right direction. So, no, no, no. We'll continue to monitor it, but uh, right now it's, we're not investing in it. From our stars and dogs segment, it's time for this week's star. Now, the, our star of the week from our Stars and Dogs segment is International Road Dynamics, Inc., IRD on the TSX. Uh, this company was a great winner for us already this year uh, and for our clients. It's a company that we actually cover and have recommended in January uh, of this year, just in January, at a price of $2.36. The stock jumped has jumped 80% from that level and 50% this past week on a takeover bid. So what does IRD do? They are a highway traffic management technology company specializing in supplying products and systems to the global intelligent transportation industry. Uh, their products include anything from automated truck way stations, toll road systems, 
integrated traffic controls, permanent way in motion systems and operations and maintenance of truck, way stations, toll and traffic data collection systems, among other things. The company owns over 60 patents as well. Now, our buy thesis on this back in January was first off that revenues had grown from 42 million to 58 million and earnings had jumped from a loss of five cents to 18 cents per share over the past four years. The stock traded then around 13 times earnings and expected organic growth in the double digit range moving forward with the potential for acquisitions with a solid balance sheet. So we had a stock trading well below the market average price earnings multiple with above average growth prospects. So that's what we define as growth at a reasonable price. Now, we would have bought this company regardless of uh, a blue sky upside from potential uh, infrastructure spend with the unexpected Trump presidency. But this added some blue sky potential, like I said, and the plan, his planned infrastructure spending, if it came to fruition, um, was something that would be a real kicker to this stock. Now, if we look under Trump's plan, essentially, as it's written, the federal government would offer tax credits to private investors interested in funding large infrastructure projects who would put down some of their own money up front and borrow the rest on the private bond markets, for example. They would eventually earn profits on the back end from usage fees such as highway and toll bridges. Uh, so instead of paying for their new roads at tax time, Americans would pay for them during their daily commute. Uh, there's not a big appetite for increased taxes to pay for these, so uh, these user-type fees potentially could be a way to go moving forward. And of course, all these private developers would earn a nice return at the end of the day. And how do they earn that return? Well, uh, they use toll systems, way-in-motion systems, which IRD is a market leader in, and they enable intelligent highway systems. So we saw IRD as well-positioned for growth with deteriorating, deteriorating infrastructure across North America and throughout the world. Now, this past week, a large investor, I've identified this opportunity that we saw in IRD and then announced that it had entered into a definitive agreement to acquire all of the issued and outstanding shares of the company for $4.25 in cash, or an equity value valuing the company at around $63.5 million. The purchase price represented a 51% premium to the closing price on April 13th and a 35% premium to a 90-day volume uh, weighted average trading price. The company that is taking it over, we are also familiar with. It's a TSX-listed company called Wylan, W-I-N on the TSX. They're, again, they're making it an all-cash bid. While we intended to buy and hold IRD for three to, say, five years, given the attractive valuation point at recommendation and the growth paths that we talked about going forward over the next five years, the 80% guaranteed return was too difficult and is too difficult to ignore. Uh, we believe the 425 bid near to midterm is more than a fair price. Uh, in that regard, specifically, IRG generated $65.4 million in revenue in fiscal 2016, uh, $4.9 million in earnings, or EBITDA, sorry, and $2.8 million in net income, uh, and $2.3 million of cash from operations. So the enterprise value the EBITDA multiple at the takeover price of $4.25, paid by Wyland, is in a range of $13, which is not cheap. 
and it's around 23 times earnings, which is well above the market PE. So with the 50% jump this past week and the 80% gain since our recommendation in January of the week, this makes IRD or International Road Dynamics our big star of the week. And we're pleased to uh, produce that type of gain in such a short term for our clients in this company. So we're we're recommending our clients tender or 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 sell the shares in the in the open market, and our clients have received the full report on that earlier in the week. It's nice when that happens. You know, you never expect a company to to do that so quickly, but it's certainly if you if you invest the right way, then it, it will happen from time to time, and it's it's certainly nice. You know, one thing that that I would like to to say about about IRD just from a very general sense is that. A lot of people, when they're looking to invest, they they invest um, thematically. So they're they're trying to find just companies that are, that are in certain industries or certain areas that they think that um, that are going to perform well. So a good example would be this: a lot of people think that the infrastructure sector is going to perform well because you have governments on both sides of the border saying they're going to invest heavily into infrastructure. And and the idea it, for a lot of investors is we'll just find companies that are in that space, just find companies that are in that space. Whereas we take the 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 opposite perspective. We want to invest in it's 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 impossible to say when these projects, when the spending from the government, promised spending from the government is going to happen or how much it's going to be or what it's going to look like or how profitable they're going to let the companies be. So you just never know what's going to happen. That is the potential upside. So what we do is we look for companies outside of the theme. We just look for companies that that hit all of the criteria in terms of profitability, um, solid outlook from what is actually happening right now and, and growth in, in earnings and reasonable valuation. And when you find those companies and they also fit into a really nice theme, um, like say the infrastructure theme right now, that is when you can get some, some very compelling, some very compelling returns. And, I and agree. sometimes in a short time frame, although you never want to, you never want to expect that when you're investing. Yeah. I mean, this was not projected when we, you know, I mean, there's companies that when you look for with solid balance sheets, growth, uh, and uh, growth outlook going forward, they be instantly become a takeover target. But that's not the the uh, the thesis behind this company. Like we said, uh, it, you know, good valuation, growth at a reasonable price, continue to chug along. We would have happily held it for three to five years if they continue to grow those earnings. Uh, when you get a takeout like this, um, obviously it crystallizes our gains over in short order, and and we'll take we'll take those gains at any time. But um, it, like Aaron said, uh, and also as an aside, the thematic investing is something that we really don't do. Uh, if we happen to find a great company that hits with a, a good theme, uh, you know, it's a good marriage. But uh, you're looking for a great company that you'd buy regardless of whether there is uh, that push or theme in the market, broadly speaking, that, that uh, investors are interested in or that hot theme right now. You just want the good, solid company, and if it picks up on a theme, those two things marry well together, you can have a potential situation like this. So now we're going to shift on to our dog. From our Stars and Dogs segment, it's time for this week's Dog. Good, so... We're gonna go. We're gonna do the dog right now. So the dog of the week this week is Home Capital Group, and the symbol is HCG. So I will say right away is that there was no debate this week uh, about who was gonna be the dog. It's very rare that you get a situation like this. Uh, essentially, what happened is on Tuesday the shares of Home Capital plunged a whooping sixty percent, over sixty percent actually in one day. 
so what happened? Well, well, a lot of things happened here. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's a sad story, unfortunately. And, and we don't know exactly, people don't know exactly what the details are in terms of um, the culpability of the company or, or, or what, to what extent they, they misled investors. But essentially what happened is this company was once a, a market darling. I'll just, I'll just explain quickly what they do. They're, they're, they were the largest alternative lender, mortgage lender in Canada. So basically like a bank, they, they in many ways compete with the banks, but they're, they're an alternative lender. And what their, what their uh, skill set was, according to them anyways, is they focused on people in, in, in the, who were looking for mortgages that did not fit the typical criteria of, of, of a bank. So just an example would be you could have an immigrant come here to Canada who um, is a responsible person, makes good money, but they don't have an existing credit rating here in Canada. So banks might not want to lend to that person because banks are very risk, risk adverse, adverse, but home capital would look at that and, and they'd basically try and find the value and they'd be like, well, there's a good explanation why you don't check all these boxes for the bank, but we think you're a good credit risk. So we're going to give you the mortgage, but we're going to do it at, at a much, uh, at, at a much higher rate. Um, they, they were a market darling in, in, in 2014, actually, they had reached a peak of, of $56 on the TSX and, and they had surged 71% in a single year. And roughly around that time, I had done an analysis on them. I went back 15 years from that time and they had grown earnings per share in every single year over that 15 year period. But I did not recommend them because there was some talk that, uh, that the credit quality in their portfolio had declined and, and I just wanted to stand back and, and see see what happened um but essentially uh what what happened is that in, in february and march um the 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 home capital had said that the osc had served the company and some of its former directors with enforcement notices charging that it had failed to meet its continuous disclosure um obligations so it was it was the the major problems just recently started just on the 19th the the stock price had declined about 20 percent just in one single day and that um that essentially happened with the the ontario securities commission filing a statement of allegations against the company um and so what had happened is the the ceo the the founder and former ceo who was still a board member he had, he had stepped down on the 19th the share price had gone down 20 percent just on that day and uh, I was figuring that this was going to be a candidate for a dog, but then it did recover the next day uh, a, a fair bit. But just this week, um, <laughs> more bad news for the company. The, the, the shares plunged more than 60% after Home Capital disclosed that it had, had suffered from major withdrawals of capital from, from its investors. So they, they disclosed that deposits had dropped nearly $600 million between March 28th and April 24th, and that it needed to secure a $2 billion lifeline to mitigate the impact. So they're basically saying, because people are withdrawing all of their deposits out of our bank, obviously they don't have all the money there because they loan it out to people in the form of mortgages. They needed a lifeline of $2 billion. And the problem, this was announced, this was announced this last week, and the problem is the rate that they're paying on that money for the first billion 22.5% is what people are calculating the rate at. And for a company like Home Capital, that makes them the subprime borrower. So 22.5% is, is, is absolutely outrageous. And when that information was released to the market, <clears throat> uh, that's where you saw the 60, 65% uh, share price drop in, in just a single day. And, and, you know, 
we we were actually asked it's 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 interesting because on our chat session on our live chat session with clients just this monday we were asked a question about about home capital we were asked if you know given the earnings and the valuation which looked attractive on paper if we thought that this was an opportunity or if this was a value trap and i replied i believe that this is a value trap they've they've especially with these finance businesses so much is in the detail there's there, there so much is a what's important is 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 the credit quality of that portfolio and if there's any allegation or if there's any thought that, that there's been misleading information provided by the company. And I'm not saying that the company did that, but that is essentially, I believe, what the Ontario Securities Commission is, is investigating. If there's misinformation provided to, to try and skew the credit quality of that portfolio, you, you just have to stay away from, from businesses like that and just and just let, let the chips fall as they may and see what happens after. Um, I, I had said that I thought that this could be a company where on any given day it could drop 20%. And I was surprised because I guess on any given day I was wrong and it can actually drop 65%. But in, in the banking industry, perception is really reality because these companies rely on, on confidence. Confidence that people can put their deposits with them and generate a reasonable rate of return and those deposits are safe. Those deposits are then loaned out. Uh, to to in, in the form of mortgages at a higher interest rate. So when when you lose that confidence, people are going to get their money out of there and then you have nothing left to lend and eventually get to a point where you have to tell people, I can't give you, we can't give you your money because we don't have it. We would have to start calling back loans. So that is where the $2 billion lifeline comes in. And when you look at that 22.5% effective interest rate that people are talking about, that just, that right there shows the desperation of the company if they're willing to pay that much, this is literally do or die for them. So I would say, you know, you you got to stay far, far away from this company for now. This is something I'm not saying it's going to happen, but this is literally something that could go to zero. Yeah, and when, it's well said. I mean, when you have a crisis of confidence, um, you know, this is this is your old fashioned run on a bank, uh, essentially, and. Uh, it's shocking to see, but uh, you know it, it is all about having confidence in, in that bank. And uh, once that falls by the wayside, uh, all bets are off as to what can happen here. And uh, that's why you see the share price down 58% this last week, 65% in one day. Um, and yeah, we would definitely steer career of this. And that's obviously going to make it our dog of the week. It's a shame because because if you look at just what they have on paper, they're reporting positive earnings. Uh, the you know value looked good. I, I hadn't taken a look at it in the last year because it was just something that I was taking away. Uh, I was I was stepping away from and I, I wasn't going to consider it anyways. But um, they they did have a, a pretty good cash balance as far as I'm aware. Um, so I'm sure a lot of people bought into this just thinking that it was a good value opportunity. But unfortunately, it, it absolutely was not. And this is the this has been the quintessential value trap and you know it's it's what's really important and that's a major part of what we do is you you can see that the company is generating earnings and those earnings may be real it's it's not necessarily that a company is misleading investors with respect to what their earnings are but you also need to understand where are those earnings coming from how are they generating them and what are the what is the risk that something that could happen to basically wash those earnings away because just because a company 
produced excellent financial performance last year does not mean they're going to continue to do it going forward. So that is a major part of the analysis is ensuring that that there is some stability in in the profitability of the business. Yeah, the earnings may be there now, but the quality of the loan book and is it sustainable in a hot housing market in a couple of regions? And uh, you know, if those markets cool significantly, uh, does do those earnings just evaporate? And you know, if 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 each of those loans or a number of those loans are, uh, you know, have been put out to people who really shouldn't have those uh, mortgages, then, you know, there, there's a situation where you really have a, a drop off. And that's uh, now now you have that other the other scenario, also the crisis of confidence and who was uh, on the underwriting practices uh, or the more lending practices. And, and it's a situation we just wouldn't touch. So that's going to wrap up this show. For this week again Aaron I'd like to thank you uh, for co-hosting with me I'd like to remind listeners they can follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook they can add us to their favorite RSS feed or on iTunes and again we'd like to mention that we have our do-it-yourself stocks investment seminars with Keystone coming up in Vancouver on May 23rd Kamloops on May 24th Victoria on May 25th Edmonton on May 30th, Calgary on May 31st, and Toronto on June 1st. Uh, Thank you, Aaron. Uh, Profitable investing. Thank you, Ryan. Profitable investing.